Good morning. My name is Pam Canty. Um, I'm a member of the Sardis Road Community Group and a woman shepherd here at Christ Central. Um, as one of the oldest women here at Christ Central, it is in God's providence that I'm reading 1 Timothy chapter 5 today. So, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business, and talking about things they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them, for I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. 
but there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning, and I love um, our pastoral search team's update. I think if you could just like capture that update, right, and share it with our prospective uh, pastor candidates, I think they will want to be here. So thank you, pastoral search team, for um, giving us update. I think our job description, as um, as um, our chair shared with us, is not only to pray, pray with anticipation, and also praying for the other congregation. Thank you for that as well. Um, my name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you could join us this morning. We're back in 1 Timothy. And thus far, we have seen in 1 Timothy, the title of our sermon series is called For the Church. So we've seen what is the Church of Christ all about. We've also seen what's the purpose of the church, mainly in showing God's love to the watching world. Um, and also, what does it mean for the church to pursue godliness, as Pastor Omari shared with us last week. And today, as we come to chapter 5, the question for us is, why join a church? Why do you want to, or why should you join a church? According to Gallup poll, Americans' membership in House of Worship continues to decline. And for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend, it dropped below 50% to 47% in 2020. I'm sure some of the pandemic has to contribute to that as well. But the city of Charlotte, as they say, city of thousand churches, is not an exception as well. They say uh, in Charlotte Observer, uh, North Carolina churches saw a major loss of young people by under 50% this past year, as Pastor Mario alluded again to the rise of the nuns, right? And, uh, those people with no affiliation with any belief is on the rise. To make the matters worse, in 2021, there was a famous article written by a local pastor titled, People are leaving the church because of churches. People are leaving the church because of churches, citing the hypocrisy, the hurt the church has placed on God's people. And hence, we see the drop of God's church's attendance. So in light of all this, that you and I already probably feel and know within us, even perhaps our family and friends we notice that's happening, as well as the convenience of now online church. How easy for us to stay home and watch church online or go to any other church, for that matter, all across the United States or even overseas. The question is, why is the emphasis on joining a church, a local church? After all, the question may be, isn't it most important thing about Christianity is my personal relationship with God anyways? As long as I know the Bible, I read the Bible, as long as um, I can be kind and loving to my neighbors, they live around me, give to my favorite charity that I actually believe in, isn't that enough to be a follower of Christ? Isn't that enough for me? The question is, why join a church, a local congregation? And that's where we are in 1 Timothy 5. When we come to 1 Timothy 5, Paul is writing to his pastor, younger pastor Timothy, on what, on what matters. And we just read a local church relationships at that. But wait, you may ask, pastor, pastor, the past passage on this text is more confusing than ever, right? 
They're talking about how the widows, the older men, the women, the younger disciplines, the paying past, the disciplines of elders who publicly sin. How does this give us compelling reasons to join a church? After all, if you read through it, you may be thinking, well, I don't want it. Right? It actually gives you compelling reasons not to join a church. At that, why talk about all this administrative logistics? I don't want to deal with that. Let me just be part of loving people and loving God, right? Why do we have to prop up a failing institution that is out of touch with reality today? And of course, throughout history, these verses were often taken out of context to justify bloated payments to pastors, to justify abuse that happens in a church, or to weaponize scripture against one another. And you may think, well, again, surely this convinces me otherwise. Thank you, Pastor. This is why I am not going to join a local church. With these questions in our mind, ever so prevalent than before in this post-pandemic era, as we would say, the question is, I invite you all humbly to lean into what God has to say to us by putting these verses back into the context of Paul's heart for a church. I believe embedded in these verses are compelling reasons why it is so important for those who proclaim to follow after Christ to be part of often failing and struggling local church. Yet their beloved bride of Christ as Apostle Paul gives us two compelling reasons why to be a part of this church today. First reason to join a local church is to know God's family. First reason to join a local church is to know God's family. I was out of town last weekend uh, due to a family wedding. And what we did was a lot of sightseeing, but more than anything else, just spending time together spends time with one another, as it was one of those rare times when my side of the family got together from all over the states, right? I have aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, sisters, moms, dad, grand-aunts, grand-uncles, and uh, sometimes at the wedding, some random people show up, and you're like, you're my family? Never seen you before, but you are my family, right? Uh, some of the family secrets come out, and you realize, whoa, wow, I, my family is complicated, and I thought. Um, and we're all gathered there to get to know somebody else. In this case, it was my cousin-in-law for the first time. And I realized all of us in our family have very different personalities, <laughs> different ways to relate with one another, different places in our life together, older, younger, all that. But what brought us together was this common bond of a family. It does not mean we always get along. And trust me, we do not get along all the time. Sometimes there are more disagreements, struggles, than agreements in coming together. But we still call one another a family. And you are invited to this wedding because you are a family, not because of anything else. And that's what the scripture calls a church of Christ is. Oikos in Greek means a household of God, a gathering of God's family, as they say. And in them, what we find are different relationships, sometimes difficult relationships. In the opening verses of chapter 5, Apostle Paul gives instruction to a young pastor, Timothy, on how to interact with his family members in the church. He says, never speak harshly to an older man, 
but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to a younger man as you would do your own brother. Treat older women as you would your mother, and to treat younger men with all purity as you would your own sisters. What underlying factor in each relationship listed is that there are different people in the church. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? As people came up and gave announcements and all this stuff in our church, we saw different people. The mic, standing mic, went up and down, depending on the height, um, as well as um, the voice projection were different as well. In a church, there are differences in age, but also in our church, there's differences in race, ethnicity, background, work experience, single, married, widow, divorced. There are many different people in the church of God. And God invites all these people into the church of God. Amen? Amen. And what Paul is telling Timothy is to relate to everyone in different ways. Not just one blanket way to recognize the unique gift God bestows upon each one of them. Simply get to know one another. That's what Paul is saying, telling us. And he further goes on to describe the care the church must give to the widows. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verse 3 and 16 talks about take care of any widow who has no one else to take care of her. It talks about all this qualification of what is a truly widow, what to do with the younger widow, what we are to pursue as a church. Uh, and there is a call for a family to take care of their own, but also a church to take care of their own widows as well. You see, the defending and caring for the widows was not only rooted in the Jewish customs, a tradition as at a time. It was not only merely cultural phenomenon, but what we see is caring for the widows is deeply embedded in the scripture. In Exodus chapter 30, 22, 22, and 23, it is written, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 18 echoes the same sentiment. And duty is placed upon Israel's law to care for the widows throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Furthermore, in New Testament, we find that Jesus took a particular care in raising the son of the widow in Luke chapter 7 and lauding a poor widow's offering in Luke chapter 21. So what we find here, church, is when Paul gives detailed instruction on caring for the widows here, the emphasis is on caring for those who especially do not have any means to care for themselves. In a time and the culture where there were no social services, there were no retirements or charity programs, the burden of the caring for those in need often fell to the family members at the time. And the call here, Paul says, is do that duty first. Make sure you care for your own that God has bestowed upon you. And he doesn't give a qualification saying, like, take care of those good members of your, church, uh, of your family and disregard those bad members of your family, Right? His call is to care for the family members that's rooted in the scripture. But also, he says, especially for the woman at a time whose needs were often dependent heavily upon men and their fathers and husbands. And the widows without these male figures were often left to fend for themselves. So Paul here says, make sure there are other family members present to care for them. If they are younger and have ability to marry, remarry, then seek those opportunities, he says. But ultimately, if you're truly one without any help, then who should care for them? Church, a family of God, should come to care for them. And to honor, to serve them, is not only to give them what they want or what they need, but notice what it says in how to care for 
the widows in these verses. Verse 10 says, She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? And I love this. I love these verses. Not because this is not just talking about the qualification, whether you qualify to be a widow to receive help or not. In fact, this is not just a mere judgment on how to do an elder care, nor command against welfare. What Paul is instructing Timothy is, in addition to broader instruction on how to relate to different people of his congregation, he's encouraging Timothy to care and to know the most vulnerable among them. To know your family. Your church flag is at the heart of these instructions that's given here and treating them as such, not as a charity case, but as a family member. Because notice what it says. To love and to care to provide for them is not merely to give to them what they need, but notice that in honoring them, uplifting them, is now they are able to serve God's church in their own circumstances, in their own unique ways. Remember what Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter? He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Here, what we see is that each person in God's family is uniquely gifted. At the heart of Paul's instruction to Timothy is not only Timothy telling the widow to serve them, but allow them to serve the church in their unique way. Verse 5 and 10 are not only qualifications, as we said, but highlighting what these widows are already doing in the serving the local body. Verse 5 says, Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. Her job was to pray, to intercede, and place her hope to be an example for those around them. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her hot children well? Has she been kind to strangers, served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? You see, these widows who were helped by the church were in turn in their own unique way, in their own unique circumstances, were given this opportunity to mentor, to love, to be an example, to model what it means to place their hope in the Lord. Church, what we are called to do in a church of Christ is not only to provide the needs, but to care for them as family members, to know them as family members. In the day and the age where the temptation for a church is to look at members just as numbers. And for those in the church to look at each other as fellow experience seekers or only faces to see on Sundays, this cuts to the heart of what it means to truly belong to the body of Christ. Whether you're in need or in plenty, whether you're younger or older, brother or sister, God's call is to be part of a local body to know one another, to know one another's needs, to know one another's giftings, and get involved. To know one another's stories, to know the ways God has weaved these testimonies of one coming to know Christ. And you know what that means? You know what that means, church? It sounds great, right? It means it's going to be so messy. You know that? Isn't it? When you try to get to know somebody, 
you realize, man, that person is messy. But you also realize, I'm messy. So as you get together to get to know one another, there's mess all around. Look at Paul's detailed explanation to Timothy on the widows and which widows qualify. Imagine giving that instruction to your church, saying you qualify. Well, you, you know, Paul says you are chasing after Satan, right? You don't qualify. Imagine that. Imagine that kind of discipleship that is happening, calling one another out, having those difficult conversations. This is what Paul is calling the church to do. Challenges for a young pastor to a young congregation. This is a small glimpse of the relationship challenges that are present in the church in the past, church now. But despite this, what Paul urges Timothy is not to shy away from knowing the church, caring for them, even engaging in the conflicts with his church family, and encouraging one another in the church to know each other as the care will be done by all people together, not just leadership and not just Timothy. At the heart of this letter in the instructions of this relationship is just that. It means a heart of what it means to belong to a local body, to know one another, to know the stories, to know who are suffering, to know their needs, even sins that we struggle with. This, just this past week, I was made aware that there is a community group collectively wrestling to care for and to love their elderly in their respective families, to know, to be able to share those burdens together, to pray and to mutually encourage is at the heart of what it means to be a family of God. I recently saw an Instagram post of our member talking about how one of their friends leaned into knowing their daughter. One line that really captured me as well as challenged me was this. The person wrote, she even taught her a couple of a signature moves of a sport that my daughter is playing. So she's able to speak into her life. And I thought, that's exactly what it is all about, isn't it? That's what it means to desire to know somebody not expecting to know right away. So often we walk into a church and we judge within like a couple minutes. Like, oh, I don't think I'm welcomed here. No one talks to me. It takes time. Especially if you come from a different background, different stories, it takes time and effort to get to know one another. To know someone is not to expect to know right away, but learning, leaning into the uncomfortable. To ask, to seek, not to assume, not to expect, but to ask and to find out, after all, that's the gospel way, isn't it? Christ came to know us by taking on our human flesh, humbling himself lower and lower. He knows us by stepping into our lives, walking with us, suffering on our behalf, and our call is to imitate Christ-likeness, to know others the way Christ does, to speak into our lives in the ways that you and I are created, to know them in their joys, tears, mountaintops, the valleys. If you have experienced this kind of grace in your life, you can't help but to imitate your Savior. That's why we say join a local church. Don't join a local church that says you will have everything you ever desired and wanted here. You will not. But join a local church that says it will be the messiest thing you'll be ever be part of. Because that's the reality. 
If you really want to get to know someone, you have to get messy with them. And that is why God is calling God's people by the grace of God. Don't forget that. Not by your might, your perfect posture, by the grace of God to know one another in the body. Amen? Amen. Not only you're called to know one another, to join a local church, you're called to be known by the local church. You're called to be known by the local church. One of the questions that people always ask, when do you see Christ Central lights, Christ Central people, changing and transforming? Do you know there is a prayer gathering that meets online on 2 p.m. on weekdays? I don't think we meet every, every day now, but we used to during the pandemic. Uh, it was a vision of a few folks who gathered together and said, we really need to pray together during this season. What I loved about this gathering is not only the chance to pray for one another, to pray about different things, especially during the pandemic, this was an outlet for us to come together, to see one another through Zoom, and to pray together. However, what soon became apparent was how this group, most unlikely bunch, got together through a difficult time, difficult season. It was this gathering that faced what was the summer of reckoning in 2020 with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. I remember getting on this prayer call as different people got together. Can you imagine what was shared, what was prayed for on that day? Not only prayers were lifted up, but the stories, personal stories, were shared. And one another was known deeply through this time. And I saw transformation of our old, our young, coming to be known and to know one another through those times. Not only are you called to know, step into one another's life to learn, to know, but Scripture tells us the reason why you should join a local church is so that you could be known by others. You could be known by others here. Starting in verse 17, Paul goes on in detail about how to deal with elders now who sin. Do you know what are the three marks of a church or characteristic of a church is? Do you guys know that? Do you guys learn that in membership class? First one is Word of God, right? Makes sense. We preach, we read, and all that stuff. Second thing is prayer. Obvious. We, talk, we just talked about it. We pray. And you know the final thing is? Discipline. And that's when you're like, what? Word of God, prayer, and discipline? Where do you get that? Right here in these verses, verse 17. It says, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating its tread on the grain. And in other places, those who work deserve their pay. 19 says, do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solely command you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. In verse 22 and 24, talks more about those things. These verses highlight the following. The material support for the elders, especially those who teach and preach. Directives on how to deal with charges brought up against an elder. How to discipline them if it is found to be true. A call not to show favoritism or leniency to an elder in dealing with the discipline, taking care to set aside an elder, 
And finally, care for Timothy along with the call for his personal holiness as an elder of the church. A lot is here. We could spend lots of time unpacking this, but I want to respect for the time. Um, at a glance, it seems like there's a lot of administrative checkoffs, right? We check off pain, we check off discipline, we check off all these things. And there are many principles here that does help us to govern a church. But what I want to bring your attention this morning is to the elder's role, again, highlighted in these verses. Remember back in 1 Timothy 3? In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, especially an elder here, he desires an honorable position, it says. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. And he goes on and talks about all this qualification. And we saw back in 1 Timothy 3 that Paul is giving directives on not only on electing an elder, but his qualification of an elder is that of a character, Christ-likeness. And in chapter 5, he talks about how to deal with an elder once he is elected as an elder. And how, another way to say is, how do you keep them as an elder, right? How not only to elect an elder, but how do you keep them as an elder? Another way to say is accountability. How do you keep them accountable? Mutual accountability. Not only being provided out of the needs that he has, but also keeping him accountable in terms of how he comes to the office, what happens when he sins, and ultimately, how to deal with them in their sin. Because an elder is not only called to lead here, what we see is they're called to be an example. The church discipline is highlighted in dealing with their failures. Another way to say this is this. This deals with how an elder of a local church ought to be known. Ought to be known. His life is to be on a display. And it's not saying an elder set apart must be perfect. Then I'll take all the resignations today, including myself, right? But as a church leader, an elder, his main priority is not only teaching, guiding, governing the church, but their main goal, as we see, is showing the church how to live, how to love God, and how to become Christ-like. And what we see is that he must be respected not because how great he is, but because of the call God placed upon his life to care for his church by being at the forefront of pointing others to church's Savior, Christ himself. That's why an elder, elder is to be above reproach. And when he isn't, he must be held accountable, especially if he sins publicly. Notice why in verse 20. It says, Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. You see, even in discipline of sin, I would add, and restoration of a sinner, repentance and seeking forgiveness, even in that, a church officer, an elder, is to call to be an example to the rest of the congregation. And this is what it means to be a church elder church, to be at the forefront of wanting to lead under this type of humility and willingness, 
That's why it is a noble task, according to 1 Timothy 3. It's a challenging task, not that everyone should pursue after. It is something that is going to be challenging for these elders. And Paul highlights that because they are called, they are to call others to the lifestyle, the call of an elder is to truly be known in congregation. What a refreshing reminder of what a church leader ought to be. They're not to be the lords over your life, dictating what you should do, what you should not do. They're also not to be Christ's replacements for you. Rather, their first and foremost calling is to show you how to live life of a Christ follower, both in their leading and also in their failure. It is to be a warning, a guide to serve as God's reminder for the rest of the family. And ultimately, they are known to his church, his people. He is also ultimately known by his God. What an accountability. What standard. Elders, church leaders, you know you're called to this? This is a standard. That's why church discipline is a mark or a characteristic of a church. Not because we want people to be holy and blameless, but because church is a place where you're called to be known by others and ultimately known by God. So why join a local church? So you can be known like this. Following these examples of elders, to be held accountable in your walk with Christ. Not to hide behind the TV screens or the business of our life today, but rather truly joining a local body in your vulnerability, in your brokenness, with fellow broken people, especially the leaders who stand before you, to be known so that we could all come to Christ together. That's the benefit of being a part of a local body. Church, let me be clear and remind you of this, especially in these days. Joining a church is not only so that your children can get Christian values. We believe, parents, you are the first and foremost called to do that yourself. It is also not only for you to receive good doctrinal teachings from the Bible. If that's the goal, there are more books out there, better preachers out there that you could go to. It is not only for you to find Christian friends or influences in your life. Again, you can find that anywhere else, probably better than here. It is surely not for you to feel good about coming to church or leaving on Sunday with a check mark that you did well. Can I also say this? For temptation in coming to church like ours, church is not only a place for you to be exposed to multi-ethnic nature of God's community. If you really believe this, your call is to pursue this in all of your life, not just for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Please know that there are benefits. These are benefits. I'm not saying to dismiss them, right? Amen to them. Yes, you get them. You should pursue them in church. But at the heart of knowing and joining a church, a local body, is that not only you get to know others, but you're known by them. So you can be challenged, rebuked, exposed, held accountable, spoken into, transformed, so the gospel can enter in, so that Jesus can do his work in your life. Please know that I'm not advocating for a smaller church because you and I both know 
We could hide in a big church as well as a small church. We could also be known in a big church as well as a small church. Do you know when there is a biggest drop in church attendance? Do you know when that happens? The biggest drop happens not when there's a pandemic. Not even when there's a church scandal. Not even when there's a difficult teaching taught from the pulpit. Not when there's election season. Not when the worship is too long or too short. Nor even when you can't find friends or like-minded people in the church. The biggest drop in the church attendance happens when a sinner runs away from Christ. When sin enters, we often want to hide, don't we? To not be exposed, not to be known, but to drop the walls and say, whoa, whoa, that's too much. Well, let me just hide away. And what Paul reminds Timothy here by demonstrating a strong discipline for the church leader and what we're doing is to remind people of God's grace and encouraging people not to run away from being known and by only grace that could rescue and restoring them. The discipline outlined here is not written to merely punish you, punish an elder. Rather, it is to restore one towards renewed relationship with forgiving God. After all, that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel doesn't say, come and be part of this amazing, perfect community. The gospel says, we are all sinners saved by God's grace. And we're going to call our sin when we see it. And our elders are going to be at the forefront showing you how that works. To be restored by the grace of God. And that's the gospel message, gospel hope that you and I could hold on to in this fallen world. And that's what Jesus does with us, doesn't he? He invites us. He knows us. He enters into the life of those who are broken. Even in Peter's brokenness in John 21, by renewing Peter's love, by asking, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And calls to Paul as he's on his way to persecuting his church. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And restores this great leader's heart to him. And they become witnesses, not by the great messages they preach, but the life they live in light of the grace of God that saves them. That is a call for the church, to be known by him. Notice all the messages that Paul and Peter speaks of after that. Let me tell you about my Savior who came into my life to restore brokenness. Let me tell you an illustration. My life was broken. He knew me. Now I want you to know me in my brokenness. And Paul and Peter builds a church upon the grace of God by being known by him and being known by the fellow broken people. Oh, Church of Christ. Oh, Church of Christ. We learn to run towards Christ rather than away from him. That is why you and I are called to join a local church. Every month, there's a pastoral report that I have to write for our elders, to our women shepherds, to our deacons. And they ask lots of questions. How is your spiritual walk today? How's your family? Any prayer requests you have? And I try my best to fill that out. And every month, I kid you not, there's a comment that's made or email that comes 
or phone call that gets made or text message that says, what do you mean by this? Like, what, what's going on in your life? And every now and then, I have an elder who tells me, now, I'm, listen, I'm going to call your wife because I know you may not be fully honest here, not just that, but your wife will tell me more. And oftentimes, when Lynn and I get into fights, sometimes she will say, I'm going to call that elder. <laughs> and it's, you know what? Great accountability. I'm like, don't, you know? <laughs> um, but yes, I have an accountability like that. Now, I'm not used to this. I come from a church tradition where they expect your pastor to walk on water, right? To break the bread and multiply it, to per be perfect in every way. But I've seen so many pastors of mine that I loved and cherished fall. And I don't have to be the one to air out all the dirty laundry for you to know and hear and have seen many church leaders, including our loved ones, fall this past season. Giving us all the reasons to pause before joining a church, isn't it? But without dismissing the pain this causes us, we shouldn't be too surprised after all, shouldn't we not? <laughs> Paul warns of this kind of sin in verse 23 through 25, right? He says, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. It's not advocating for drinking. He's saying like, because water had a lot of contaminants back then. But 24, he says, remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sin will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. It is both warning to a local church that you're filled with the broken people, but it's also an encouragement saying, don't give up. Do you see that? It goes hand in hand. Don't be only surprised by the brokenness of the church, but hold on to the hope, not in your perfect leaders, but our perfect Savior, who despite the brokenness of a church, will sustain the bride of Christ until he returns. Amen. I love this quote by Tim Keller, a pastor theologian who writes, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Church, I need that. You need that. That's why you belong to a local body. Let's pray. Church, pray with me and make some commitments to the Lord. Um, it's easy, isn't it, to click on that TV screen to just merely attend and sit back and watch. But the call for what it means to follow after Christ is to enter into the messiness, not because you're ready to do it, but because Christ calls you to do it. And when he calls you, he will equip you and you'll grow through it. Let's pray for that, shall we? Father, we pray for that to be true of us as a body of Christ in our brokenness. Teach us what it means to walk together, to lean into one another, to share that testimony with one another so that by our brokenness and the grace that enters, even through the strong discipline 
the world may know that grace is sufficient. Grace overcomes, and only, only glory goes to our Savior. May that be true of this church and many that are gathered here. Christ, let me pray. Amen.